We're going to conclude our series, Born to Die. And uh, so if you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, you can go ahead and do that. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 in just a moment. We have learned that Jesus was sent by the Father from the heights and the holiness of heaven to the depths and the deprivation of earth. And he was sent with a divine purpose to save his people from their sins. And aren't we thankful for that today? Of course, the Bible teaches us that he carried out his father's plan in perfect obedience. As we learned last week, obedience that ultimately led to his death on the cross. And this morning, we're going to see that there was more than simply obedience that motivated him. Uh, and more than simply obedience that should motivate us uh, as we serve the Lord, as we follow the Lord. Certainly, we should be an obedient people, but there should be far more uh, to us than that. According to, to Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus was motivated by joy. Uh, not as illustrated by that <laughs> cry from the back. Jesus was motivated by joy. And of course, the scripture says this, that he endured the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. Now, that's hard for us sometimes to think of Jesus going to the cross, enduring all of the suffering and shame that accompanied that experience, all for the joy that was set before him. Paul is going to write about that joy uh, here in these verses. God's plan of salvation did not end with Jesus' death on the cross. I'm so thankful that Neil brought out uh, the great truth that we should all embrace, that, that Jesus' death on the cross was, was victory. Uh, that's where our salvation was secured. Uh, but it was not the end of God's plan of salvation. Jesus, of course, as we know, would rise from the dead three days later. He would ascend into the heavens. He would take his seat at the right hand of the Father, having done everything that the Father sent him to do. All authority in heaven on earth would be given to him. This, I believe, was the joy that was set before him. Jesus had prayed in the, the Gospel of John. Of course, we refer to it as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. But in that prayer, Jesus prayed these words. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, one of the things we know is when Jesus prays, God answers that prayer, doesn't he? And he certainly answered this one. And of course, really the answer to, to his prayer is recorded for us right here in Philippians chapter 2. So I want to read it with you. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't, I believe the words will be on the screen here at the front of the auditorium. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. That will help warm us up a little bit. We'll stand. You can stomp your feet a little bit. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God 
the Father. Let's pray and we'll look at these verses together. Father, we are so thankful this morning, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your Son to save us. And Father, we know because we've read the story, He accomplished that work of salvation completely, thoroughly. Again, the Bible tells us that because of what He did, He is able to save to the uttermost all who will place their faith and trust in Him. So I I ask you, Father, to speak to the hearts of each one of us this morning, to help us to look at our own lives. Lord, have we believed on the name of Jesus? Have we called upon that name? Can we leave here today with absolute certainty that you have indeed saved us, that we are a part of your family, destined for the glories of heaven I pray that each one of us would be able to say that with absolute confidence. And if not, Father, I pray that no one would leave here without making sure. So, Lord, again, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus, even this moment, is seated at your right hand. Uh, The Bible tells us that he is our intercession. Lord, not only does he pray for us, uh, but, Lord, he is the way. He is our access to you, to the throne of grace. Uh, to our Heavenly Father. Uh, So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts today, that you would speak to us as only you can remind us today of the glories uh, that our Lord Jesus has entered into and the glories that await all of us who have entered into him through faith. Uh, We love you and we thank you for these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated and of course, the title of this last message is Crown. We began with, with Christmas, uh, the incarnation of Christ, His coming into the world, being born uh, to the Virgin Mary. Uh, and then, of course, Neil dealt wonderfully with the verse 8 of this text, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But again, I think we can all say uh, we are so thankful that is not the end of the story, and uh, we're going to talk about his exaltation this morning, Uh, the exaltation that God crowned him with. And and of course, the the first point is that he was crowned with an exalted position. Verse 9 says, as a result of all that Jesus did, and I I want you to notice this, the, 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 the whole first part of this text was all about Jesus. Uh, His actions, what what he determined to do. And now in verse 9, suddenly it's God the Father uh, who is at the center of the activity taking place. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed upon him the name above every name. And of course that word, therefore, right? Uh, Therefore, because Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Because Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Because Jesus was born in the likeness of men. Because Jesus was found in human form and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because Jesus did all of this, therefore, God highly exalted him. You know, there's a principle that's found in Scripture, and we've been talking about it a lot lately. We talked about it in our our series on 1 Peter. We've talked about it in in this series as well. The Bible teaches us that exaltation comes as a result of our being willing to humble ourselves. 
And you know, that's a problem in our world today. Most people are simply not willing to humble themselves. Uh, We want to be exalted. We want to be lifted up. We want to be praised. We want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged. But often we're simply not willing to do what always comes before that kind of thing. Jesus humbled himself. And as a result, God highly exalted him. And of course, even for us, the same truth uh, is there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, He who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, To be exalted, what does that mean? Well, the word simply means to be raised to the highest place. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe that that Paul actually coined this term, uh, as he often did as he wrote Scripture. He used a word that was not typically used in in classic Greek literature. Uh, He he combined these two words uh, to convey a truth that he was desperately seeking to convey, that Jesus had been highly exalted. Some would translate that word super exalted. Uh, Again, exalted to the highest place, lifted from, again, the depths that he had condescended to, to the very highest place in all of creation. Uh, That place belongs to Jesus. And again, the the problem that we encounter so often in our lives is that we want that place, right? We want to be the center of our lives. Matter of fact, we want to be the center of, of life. We, we, we want everything to revolve around us. This highly exalted position belongs to one and one only. And it is Jesus Christ. God highly exalted Him. He's the only one that could have done all of the things that He did. The only one. And He's the only one that sits in this highly exalted Position. He has been raised to the highest place. Uh, and there he remains. Peter, I mentioned our, our series on Peter. Peter taught concerning this biblical principle. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Peter is talking to his fellow believers and he says to them, Therefore, again, in light of all that Christ has done, in light of the example that he set for us in humbling himself, in light of the work that he did in going to the cross and dying for us and being raised again and exalted to the right hand of the Father, in light of all of that, Peter says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you in due time. That's a wonderful hope that we have. And the Christmas season ought to just bring thoughts of that great hope. Uh, One day, you and I will be exalted too. And of course, the reason for that is because we are in Christ. The Bible even speaks of the fact that that now, spiritually speaking, uh, and, and, and concerning the certainty of these events, we can actually say that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's, that's how certain our exaltation is. And again, I want to stress this truth this morning because I believe that as we, well, as we live our lives as human beings and as we suffer the difficulties and the, and the struggles of this life, it's easy for us to get so focused on how poorly things are going here that we lose sight of the fact that it's not always going to be that way. One day, 
we too will be exalted. So as we face the hardships and the difficulties, um, we have this motive, this same motive that Jesus had as we press on in obedience to the Lord. We can actually say that like Jesus, we too have a joy that has been set before us. We too have that joy. In that same prayer in which Jesus asked God the Father to glorify Him, He also asked in behalf of us. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, they also, whom you have given me. Now, those words apply to everyone who has believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him as Savior and Lord. If you've done that, if you're a Christian this morning, then Jesus is praying for you. And remember what we said about the prayers that Jesus prays? God always answers those prayers, right? Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. God will answer Christ's prayer in the life of every true believer. One day we will indeed be with him where he is. We will behold his glory. The Bible says that we will see him as he is and that we will be like him. It's a wonderful, wonderful hope that we have in Christ. Every believer will one day hear the words that we find in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of of your Lord. That's what the scripture says. Jesus, of course, is telling the, the parable there. Well done, he says. Good and faithful servants, servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This joy that was set before Jesus that he has entered into one day, all believers in Christ will enter into that joy. We will hear those. You know, I think a lot of us sometimes uh, wonder whether or not we'll hear those words. I remember years ago watching an interview with Billy Graham, the evangelist Billy Graham, the most respected Christian leader of, of this century, perhaps. Uh, and he was asked the question, do you expect to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? And he said in response, I was so disappointed. I hate to be disappointed in Billy. He said, well, I hope so. And I understood. He was humbling himself. He was answering in humility. Well, I, I hope so. But here's the thing, church. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're a child of God, if you, if you have received Him as Savior and Lord, you will hear those words. God has begun a work in you, and the Bible says that the work that He's begun, He will finish. You will hear those words we too, in a sense, have been crowned with an exalted position because we are in Christ. Not only was Jesus crowned with an exalted position, but he was crowned with an exclusive preeminence. Preeminence is a word that we find in the Bible. It just means the first place. And, and we're often being told that Jesus has the first place or that he's, that he's the firstborn. We're going to read some words in just a minute that use, use that phrase or that word, firstborn. And, it, and it's not talking about chronology. Doesn't mean first in the sense that, that he was the first and many followed after him. It means that he was the first. He was the, 
the highest ranking. He was the most prominent, the most significant. That's the idea behind that word preeminence. It means to have the first place. And again, if there's one thing that we need to remember at Christmas time, and, and certainly we need to remember it all year long as well, the one person that should have first place in our lives is Jesus. Always. He was crowned with an exclusive preeminence. The Bible says here that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. The name of Jesus, the name that is spoken of here, he bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. Bible scholars have been debating for centuries what that name is. What is that name? Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think here in just a minute, but the important thing for us to understand is that when we read about the name of Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus. We, we hear about doing things in the name of Jesus. And when those words are used, it speaks of who Jesus is. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are, we are praying in light of all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has done in our behalf. The fact that He is our intercessor who lives forever to make intercession for us. He prays for us. He gives us access to the Father. With, with that in mind, we are praying in the name of of Jesus. We are praying in light of everything that he is and everything that he has done. But the important thing is that we understand who Jesus is. I mean, he's our Savior, yes. He's our Lord, yes. Probably one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus is found in, in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 22 to you this morning. This is who Jesus is. When we, when we think of the name and who Jesus is. Colossians 1:15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. There's that word, firstborn, the firstborn of all creation. Again, not first in order, but first in significance, first in importance, first in rank. Uh, again, Jesus has the highest position. He has the first place. He was the firstborn of all creation. For by him Scripture goes on, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. And everything that he created, he created for himself. That means that you and I were created by Jesus for Jesus. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of this church. He's the head of His church, period. The church of Jesus Christ worldwide. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. There's that word again, a firstborn. Firstborn from the dead. That in everything, He might be preeminent. This exclusive preeminence. There can only be one who is preeminent, and that one is Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who Jesus is. We need to know that. 
And, it, and we need to remind ourselves of that. This is a passage of Scripture that you ought to read over and over and over again and know that every time that you pray in the name of Jesus or you ask something in the name of Jesus, you're asking in light of who Jesus is, who the Scriptures say that He is. So I believe that when we think of this name that God bestowed upon Jesus, what could that name be? Well, certainly it's not His human name, Jesus, right? I mean, that was the name that his father was to bestow upon him, that Joseph was to bestow upon him. Remember the, the angel came to Joseph because Joseph had found out that Mary was with child and he knew the child was not his child and he was thinking of secretly putting her away. The angel said, don't do that. You take this woman to be your wife because the child that she carries is of the Holy Ghost. And you name your son Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's what the name represents, Jesus. That, that God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. So it wasn't the name Jesus. The description that we've read, and I believe what the Bible teaches even here in, in Philippians, is that the name that Jesus was given, bestowed upon him by God, is, is the name Lord. Lord. It was really a title. Uh, he's Lord. He is sovereign. He is ruler. Uh, it's the very name that the Old Testament ascribes to God. That was the name given to Jesus. Paul wanted everyone to know that Jesus, the Savior, is the God of the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. Lord, and as a matter of fact, that's what every tongue would confess, right? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That name or that word is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament name for God. So Jesus is Lord. That's the name that was given to him. In other words, there is no higher authority. There is no greater power. There is no one seated in a more significant seat. No one has a more important role. There is none higher than Him. Again, no other name like that name. None. The name of Lord. And of course, it is before that name. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know, there's going to come a day when this is literally going to come to pass. You realize that, right? I mean, we live in a day where many bow the knee to Jesus. Perhaps we're even here in this room. We've, we've bowed our knee to the Lord. We've confessed Him as Lord, right? But not everyone. Far from it. As a matter of fact, we can say not even most have done that. But one day, every knee will bow before Jesus because He is Lord. And of course, the scripture goes into some detail here. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee. Every angelic being will bow before Jesus Christ the Lord. Every demonic being will bow before Jesus Christ the Lord. Every human being will bow before Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Every being 
will bow before Jesus. It's the wonderful hope that we have. I mean, these things are, again, this is going to come to pass. We will see this one day with our own eyes. Every being in heaven, on earth, under the earth, everyone will bow before the authority and power of Jesus. And in that day, the Bible says, not only will those knees bow, but every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, that word confess means, means to, to say the same thing as. In other words, God has been telling us for centuries that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He is the one to whom we should pledge our allegiance, to whom we should give our lives, the one that we should follow without hesitation, the one that we should believe or trust in. He's the one. But again, not everybody does that. But one day every tongue will confess. Every tongue will acknowledge who Jesus is, that he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now, the important thing to remember is this. Some, like us, will joyfully acclaim him. What was the words that our children's choir spoke from Isaiah? We will proclaim him as our wonderful counselor, our mighty God our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, our Savior, our Lord. We will joyfully announce and proclaim and join together in worship and praise of Him. But others, well, they will grudgingly acknowledge that He is indeed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, it won't be the expression of those saved by grace through faith. It won't be the, an expression of love uh, from those who have, again, bowed their knee uh, in humility before him. But nonetheless, it will be acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the wonderful thing is that all of this was God's plan from the very beginning. You know, don't think for a minute that God's just kind of been taking it a step at a time, you know, reacting to the ways that things unfold in history. Oh, no, God's had a plan from the very beginning. We've already read about the fact that this was his plan before the foundation of the world, before the world existed. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23, God declares this. He says to his people, he says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Again, so not just to Israel, his people, but all, to all the ends of the earth. There is only one Savior. There is only salvation found in one. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And this is the word. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. That was were the words of God recorded in Isaiah chapter 45. Again, centuries before Christ came. Centuries before Paul wrote these words to the Philippian believers. This has been God's plan all along. The Son of God would be crowned with this exclusive preeminence. There is only one God. There is only one Savior. 
and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And then finally, of course, as we end so many messages around here, why was all of this? What's the ultimate purpose? Well, it's for the glory of God, right? Christ was crowned with an exemplary purpose. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? Well, we've said he came to die, right? He came to die for us. He came to save his people from their sins. But ultimately, we can say that the reason that Christ came into the world was to glorify his Father. And if that's why Jesus came and did everything that he did, isn't that why we should do everything that we do? The Bible says that in everything we're to glorify God, right? Whether we eat or drink, glorify God. Whatever you do, glorify God. Do everything in a manner that will ultimately bring glory to God. That is the purpose for which Christ came. And of course he set the example for us. It's the purpose for which we should do everything that we do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, asked this question. What is the chief end of man? In other words... What is the main purpose that man is here? Again, man's been asking that question for as long as there's been people on the planet, right? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? Well, church, let me just say this. You're a child of God, and you're here to bring honor and glory to your heavenly Father. The answer that the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives to that question is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Remember the joy that was set before Christ, the joy that's been set before us. We glorify God by enjoying Him. As a matter of fact, John Piper tweaks this statement in the Catechism, and he says it like this, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And of course, if there's one phrase that characterizes the ministry of John Piper, it is that God is most glorified in man when man is most satisfied with God. Christ was crowned with an exemplary purpose to bring honor and glory to God the Father. Church, that's the purpose of our lives as well. Jesus has entered into the joy that was set before him. And we are assured that one day we too will enter into the joy of our Lord. So I would say that as we go home today and about our Christmas preparations, let's determine to glorify God this Christmas. And how do we do that? By making Him the joy of our lives. Finding our joy in Him. This time of year and all year round. And then, of course, we need to determine to share the joy of Christmas with everyone we meet. The Bible says this familiar verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what we need to be sharing, church. No greater opportunity than right now to share that truth. And then, of course, in Acts, we read these words, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God sent his son because he loved us everyone that believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and if you want that life it is only found in one person one name given among men by which we must be saved the name of jesus christ